Chat for the poinsettia. Isn't the church beautiful? And the decorations in the church look great. We need one more poinsettia, though. Anybody got one? Uh, just one thing. Let me clear up something. I forgot to do it with announcements. Let me just share with you one thing. Last Sunday we had the Lord's Supper, and since COVID, and you know I don't like to use that word COVID after COVID, before COVID, during COVID. That COVID word just kind of one of those bad things, but. It forced us to change the way we do the Lord's Supper as far as the type of device that we use for the, the bread and the juice. And so I had several people tell me my cup didn't have any bread in it. And, and what I wanted to tell you is if you turn upside down, bread's on one side, juice on the other side. So next time you get it, make sure you look on both sides to find the bread and the juice, okay? I don't want you to miss out on partaking of the, the bread or the juice, but it's a, it's a flipped upside down thing. Y'all got it? I couldn't understand people because well, my cup didn't have, it just had juice in it. It didn't have no bread in it. I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So next time you'll know, all right? If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, and is this too loud? I'm, I'm amplified this morning, aren't I? Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. We'll be in, the, in Luke 1, uh, verses 26. We're, we're talking about the Christmas story. You know, we've been talking about it. Actually, John Paul started you the day after Thanksgiving, uh, talking about the Christmas story. That sermon uh, that he did was was building up to it. We've been talking about it. And we're going to talk about the Christmas story all the way through Christmas, obviously. But last week, I preached out of the Old Testament. I preached prophecy from, from Isaiah about the Christmas story, the prophecy which tells us about the Christmas story. And this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, verses 23 through 28 and we're going to talk about the importance of saying yes to God that's one thing that's so important saying yes to God is so important to each of us and that's what Mary did and we're going to talk about the importance of Mary the response that she did but I want you to think about it because what the scripture is trying to tell us is how important it is to respond to God and how important it is to say yes to God because God's not going to ask us to do anything that's not in his will. He's not going to ask us to do anything that's outside of his will. He's not going to ask us to do anything that's not beneficial for us and for other people. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. As we navigate through the world, we're often faced with choices. We're often faced with opportunities and things that we have to make a choice in something that, that we're doing. Life is full of choices, and some of them are difficult. I mean, you've heard that phrase, life is full of choices. Man, everybody's got to make some choices. But there are choices in front of us every single day. We often have to make choices that affect the outcome of our lives and also the outcome and effects of other people's lives. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. There are times in our lives when we have to respond with the word yes. And there's other times when we respond with the word no. And some people don't like to say no. But there's often times that we have to respond with either word. When events are placed in front of us, the question asked us to require a yes or no answer, the results and the response can be pretty significant. They can have some pretty significant effects. And one, for instance... When I asked Patty to marry me, it was a yes or no answer, right? It was a question, and I was anticipating a yes. I was hoping for a yes. I was anticipating a yes. And basically, fortunately, she didn't wait a whole long period of time before she responded yes. And the rest of that story is history, right? The outcome of my life, the outcome of Patty's life is completely different because she said yes to that question that I asked her. 
Now, when you think about it, when God the Father places an important question before you, such as, what are you going to do with the life that I gave you? How are you going to live the life that I gave you? What are you going to do with the time that I have given you on this earth? How are you going to share it? How are you going to live it? God places that question in front of you because he's going to ask you that question. I feel like when I stand before the Father at the end of my life, I think he's going to ask me two important questions. One, what did you do with my son? And two, what did you do with the life I gave you? How did you spend it? How did you invest it? Where did you put the time that I gave you in this earth to, to go with it? Are you going to live your life for me? Or are you going to live your life for something or somebody else? Now, that's a self-pointed question. You think about that this morning. Are you living your life for Jesus Christ? Are you living it for something else? Where are your priorities in life? I'm asking you now. I'm not stepping on any toes. I'm just asking you. Where are your priorities? The responses you give to him to this question can have eternal results. The response and the time that you spend on this earth, where you spend it, can have eternal results. God seeks our yes answer to that question in the form of surrender and obedience. And when you think of surrender, you think of giving up. Surrender to God is not giving up. It's turning our life over to him. It's making him the Lord of our life. It's a completely different aspect of surrender. Obedience is another one that we follow with him. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of scripture that reveals the importance of saying yes to God. And if you're able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's words? Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Don't, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him his throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who is called childless. For nothing is impossible with God. See, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Pray with me, please. Father God, I come before you with a humble heart. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come into your house and to study your word. God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. Father, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin. God, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So what do we know about Mary? What do we know about Mary? We've talked briefly about Mary on some Sunday nights uh, over the past several weeks. We know a little bit about Mary. But when you're thinking about it, what do we know about Mary? For all practical purposes, Mary was born to a poor family. 
Mary was poor. Her family was poor. Most likely all her friends, her relatives, they were all most likely born into a a poor family, and they were just ordinary people. When you look at Mary's history, most likely she was just an ordinary Jewish girl in her early teens, and we've had some debate about the exact uh, age of that, but she was most likely just an ordinary Jewish girl in her early teens, living an ordinary life with an ordinary family who had dreams of growing up, who had dreams of becoming married, who had dreams of having her own family someday, all these same things. These girls went through the same step process uh, of getting to a certain age, uh, of doing, uh, being trained by their mothers and by being trained by the by, uh, by others uh, around them, and all they had the same dreams of going forward with their lives. They wanted to have a family of their own. The Bible tells us two important facts about Mary. These are two important things to know about Mary. Mary was the first person to have the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ given to anyone. She was anointed by God to receive that information. That's one important fact. The other fact is she was chosen by God to be the mother of the Savior of the world. Those are two critical elements that you want to think about. Before Gabriel told anybody else about the birth of Jesus Christ, he told it to Mary. God's message came to Mary before it came to anybody else. She was selected to carry the Savior of the world in her womb for nine months. She was selected to care for him as a child and to raise him into adulthood. There's a lot of pressure goes on with this. We often think that God works only in gifted people. We often think that God only works in those who study from seminary, those that study the word, Sunday school teachers, deacons, or, or leaders and church leaders. We often think, well, that's their job. That's what they do. God works through them. People come to know the Lord because of those people. Well, let me tell you something. God chooses to move in all people. He chooses to use all people. He'll use you just like he'll use me or anybody else. That's the way he works. He uses people a lot of times that other people just leave them behind. But God will move in anybody who allows him to be used. The Christmas story reminds us that he moves in and out of all people. When we look at this, we look at a poor family. We look at people who had uh, knowledge, but yet they were still poor. But God chooses to move in those. This is not a form of being used in a negative way. God will use you any way you'll allow him to use it. Now, you think about this. People say, well, I don't like people to use me. I don't like to be used by people. You ever said that? No? Yes, you have. I've said that. I mean, but think about it. Let me tell you something. That is a negative aspect of being used. When God uses it, it's never never negative. It is a positive issue. God uses you through a positive effort. When God's using you for his mission, when he's using you for his purpose, it always has positive outcomes. There's always a benefit to that that comes from it. When God uses it, it's positive. Now, let's look at three things this morning. We're going to break the scripture down into three different passages. Jason can pop them up for us. Real quick, if you want to. The announcement is the first thing we're going to talk about. The second thing is the message, and the third thing is the response. This is all an inquiry of what God does for each one of us. He makes an announcement, he brings a message, and then there's a response that has to go along with that message, okay? And so that's what you want to do. When you look at, we look at what Mary's responded, how she responded, it's certainly part of the Christmas story. But God places those same announcements in front of us. He places the same message in front of us, and we have to respond. Let's look at the announcement. The announcement of the Christ child come at a time in history when the people of God were weary. 
They were tired. Man, it had been 400 years since God had spoke to them. They had been four generations of people who had come and gone. People were wondering, is the Messiah coming even in my lifetime? You think about it. Grandfather, great-grandfather, they had all come and gone, and yet the Messiah had not come. God's people were getting very weary after 400 years. Four generations had come and gone. These people had almost given up hope. Man, it was a dark time in the life of history. It was a dark time when, when God's people didn't know what was going to happen. But in the middle of all this darkness, God sent his angelic messenger, Gabriel. He sent Gabriel to bring a message. We know that angels are messengers. We know that Gabriel stood out among many of them and that he brought several messages to God's people. But in this particular time, Gabriel comes to announce the coming of the Son of God, which is the first advent. The first time Jesus steps on this earth and the first time he's coming, Gabriel comes to announce that. This was Gabriel's first announcement to Jesus, but it was not Gabriel's first announcement and his first appearance in the Christmas story. Amen? Where did he go before that? Who did he go to see? Zechariah. He comes to see Zechariah. Remember that? Comes to see Zechariah in, in the temple. Comes to see Zechariah because Zechariah's old, but he's a godly man. He's a priest. His wife Elizabeth is barren. They're old in age, but yet Gabriel brings him an announcement. This is another unlikely pregnancy that's going to take place. An old, older lady who's barren is going to have a child. It's the same thing. Gabriel comes to announce that. Elizabeth is old in her age. She's advanced in her age, but she is going to have the baby that's going to be the forerunner for Jesus Christ. It's going to be John the Baptist. One that's going to come ahead. One that's going to pave the way. One that's going to prepare the way. One that's going to set the stage for Jesus to come. One who lets you know that he was not the one and that he didn't have the message, but he knew the one that was bringing the message and it was going to come after him. He was the one of the last prophets before Jesus Christ. Now let's look at some things that are important. Gabriel's presence is significant throughout history. Gabriel had some, he had some special messages. He brought with him specific instructions and specific words of God. Gabriel brought the word of God. He didn't bring his own words. He brought instructions from God. The light of the world would enter into the world and eliminate all this darkness that had been there for the last 400 plus years. He was bringing the light into the world. Gabriel sent, a, Gabriel was God's specific messenger sent to initiate the plan of redemption for God's people. That's what's going to take place. After 400 years of silence, the light of the world was coming into the world. Let's look at the message. Verse 30. And then the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. You think about it. When the angel speaks to the shepherds, when the angel speaks, the first thing they do is comfort. They provide comfort because you just think about it. What if the angel stepped in front of you today and started talking to you? What would be the first instinct that you would think about? It'd be a little shaky, wouldn't it? Lord, I didn't, you know, I had a rough ride over here. You know, I had some, said some things I shouldn't have said, but I didn't know you were going to come check me on it, right? Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. The first thing he did was comfort her. Throughout history, when angels showed up, people got scared. When you look at the first century and you look at history and you look at studies, when the angels showed up, people got scared. Why did they get scared? Because they did not think they were worthy to be in God's presence. They didn't think they were worthy to be in God's presence. When the angels showed up, they knew God was coming. They didn't really want God to show up because they were scared of it. They were, people of the day, man, we're not as fearful of God as we used to be in the first century. You think about it. How do we refer to God the Father? Sometimes we say he's, what, the man upstairs? How nonchalant is that? 
the creator of the universe. He's the man upstairs, my buddy, whatever you want to call it. Those are nonchalant responses. They didn't refer to him like that in the first century. When he showed up, they, did, they were worried. They were concerned. They were not worthy of it. You think of Moses. If you can remember back, Moses couldn't look at God's face, could he? What did Moses' face look like when he came off of Mount Sinai? What did the Bible say about that? It was radiant like what? The sun. It was glowing like the sun. He couldn't stand to look upon him. God was to be experienced only in the temple and only on certain days of the week, certain times of the year, and on certain occasions. That's the only time you could see God. And yet the angel repeats to Mary, you have found favor with God. Mary knew just as we knew, we don't deserve favor from God. We're sinners in a broken world. We don't deserve what God has given us. We don't deserve his favor. Mary knew that as well. She knew she didn't deserve favor from God. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, because of the fact that Jesus Christ has came to this world and he's shed his blood for us, he took our sins upon his shoulder, we can be called children of God. That's what gives us the favor that God gives us. We don't deserve it, but God loves us just as much. I suspect that Mary's mind was racing away with all kinds of thoughts of what the angel was about to tell her. He says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Mary, but God's found favor with you. What do you think the next thing coming out of his mouth? I didn't just come to tell you not to be afraid. I didn't just come to tell you that you found favor with God. There's some important message that's about to come now. I mean, I could only imagine what Mary was thinking. I mean, it was a lot for her to process. You know, Mary, I know this is a lot for you to process, and you might not understand what's going on you're only in your early teens you know life is going to change drastically from what you thought it was going to be but i got some news for you you got some good news for you your life is about to change you're going to be the mother of the messiah now listen to the scripture what it says now he says now listen it's like she hadn't already been listening huh He says, now listen. Let's look at this. Now listen. As if you haven't already been listening, I've got a message from God. It's the most important message in your life to this point. This message is the most important message to this point. When God saves you from your sins, it's going to be way more better than this one, okay? Is that a good phrase? Way more better? Shouldn't have used that one? Process that through, okay? That's not wrote down, but anyhow. Listen to this. Let's look at verse 31. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Can you imagine what this must have felt like? Can you imagine what she felt like? Can you imagine from the sight of Gabriel, an angel? Can you imagine from the sound of his voice that was an angelic voice that you know it was coming from God? That you know it had power. You know he was speaking with authority because that's what he was. Can you imagine what that was like? The Bible says that this was during a time when Mary was engaged or betrothed to Joseph. All this is taking place at the same time. All of it's coming together all at one time. Jewish history reveals us that an engagement for a couple would last up to a year. Now let me tell you something. Engagement was binding. Engagement was just like being married, other than the fact that that one-year engagement, they didn't spend much time together. They didn't speak to each other very seldomly. They certainly weren't together at all intimately, but it still was a binding contract. You could not break the engagement without a, a, a form of divorce. And that was something that was was frowned upon for sure. Jewish history tells us that it was binding and it could only be dissolved with 
of divorce. Now let's look at the response. This is a response of surrender and obedience. When we talk about that and we talk about surrender, and I'm talking, I'm going to ask you the same question. Are you willing to surrender to Jesus Christ? But it's form of surrendering and obedience is what he's wanting to show with us. And that's what this response is. To the words of Gabriel, Mary had a simple response. This is what she said. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And you think about it. She didn't say, let me think about it, Gabriel. Let me ponder over it. Let me pray about it. Let me talk to my family about it. Let me think about the consequences that are going to come with me saying yes. Going to be some pretty significant consequences, but I, wanna, I need a, some time to process it. That's not what she said. She simply said, I'm your servant. Let it be, be done to me. It was a simple yes answer that she gave. Let's consider what Mary's signing up for. Because you know that's what we want to understand. What are going to be the consequences? Let's look at some things that she signed up for. Mary was saying yes to bearing the shame of an unwed pregnancy at a time when it carried a pretty significant stigma. And this is something that could have resulted in her stoning, being stoned to death. That's how significant this was. This is something she's signing up for. Would her friends and her family believe her claims that she had been visited by the Holy Spirit, that the, the angel Gabriel had spoke to her, that the child inside of her would be the, the, the son of the Most High? Would they believe her or would they not believe her? What would Joseph say to her or would he have her put her away? We know the end of the story. We know what Joseph did, but at this particular time, Mary didn't know what he was going to do. She anticipated that it could go either way, but she did not know. Mary was saying yes to raising the Son of God. Now, let me tell you something. If you got children, you know it's hard enough to raise children that aren't the Son of God. Amen? Can you imagine what it would be like for the pressure of raising Jesus Christ? Jesus, wash up for supper. Jesus, eat all your vegetables. Jesus, clean up your room. Jesus, stop teasing your brothers about the Torah because they don't know as much as you do. How hard would that be? The fact that Jesus wrote the Torah. Uh, he's teaching us all the same things. Imagine the fear of every time he got a cold, had a cough. Or imagine the things that when he went out of the house to play with friends or when he picked up a sharp knife in Joseph's cabinet shop. You think about these things. Now, we know that God's not going to let anything happen to the Son of God. He's not going to let him die before it's time. But you know that the motherly instinct is still there. Sure, God's going to keep him safe. But the responsibility of caring for the child, this particular child, the Son of God, had to be overwhelming to a young teenage girl. Amen? Holy cow, I can only imagine. Mary was saying yes to a lifetime of roller coaster emotions. You, know, you think about parenting. You think about the, the ups and the downs of parenting. Man, she had some significant roller coaster emotion. We can see where she saw him feed the multitude. She saw him raise people from the dead. She probably saw him walk on the water at some particular time. But she could also see him being mocked and jeered, and accused, and, and made fun of, and talked bad about at the same time, and that was her child. Mary would have to hold him close, and then she would have to let him go. She would feed him, clothe him, and rock him to sleep, but then she would have to, he would push her away and grow into adulthood. You see, she would be uh, uh, not ridiculed, but rebuked at the wedding. When she asked him to help him with the wine, the issue that was dealing with there. Most of all, Mary knew what was coming. Mary may not have known what Calvary was going to bring. She may not have understood what Jesus Christ was going to be able to do for her from the saving of the sins at this particular time. But she knew enough 
about Old Testament prophecy to know how this thing was going to turn out. She knew enough to dread the day that he would be unjustly tried by his own people and unjustly put on a cross. She knew enough of prophecy to know that it was going to be, he was going to be beaten senseless, hung on a tree, nails in his hand, and a sword in his side. And you think about it. Every parent's nightmare, nightmare is to see their children suffer. Amen? And we don't want to see our children suffer. You think about Mary. This is her child, even though it's the son of God. This is her child. To see him suffer, to watch him suffer, had to be tremendous. It had to be agonizing. So this is what Mary was saying yes to. And yet she said yes anyhow. She said, yes, I will do it, Lord. Yes, let it be done to me as you said. And even though she knew all this was going to take place and all the trouble that was going to be and all the difficulty was going to be, she still said yes. I suspect that her voice was trembling when she said it. I suspect there was some shakiness in her voice. I suspect that, I don't suspect there was hesitation. I don't suspect there was doubt. But I do suspect she had some emotions about it, how difficult that it was going to be. And yet she did not have a choice. She gave the same answers that all true believers should give when visited by God. And when God steps into your path, when he steps into your vision, when he steps into your dreams, when he offers that opportunity for you, we need to say the exact same thing. If everything this angel was telling her was, was true, if the baby born in her womb indeed was the Messiah that was going to save her and everyone who called upon his name, she really had no choice. Today, the same question is being asked of all people, you and me. God's asking that same question. The question is, what will you say to Jesus? What will you say to Jesus Christ? What is your response going to be to Jesus when he's calling you, when he's calling you out, when he's calling you to go on the mission field, when he's calling you to, to teach Sunday school, when he's calling you to just come to me? What is your response going to be to him? Jesus gave us two simple words, and it says, follow me. And what that means is walk after me. Follow me. Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you. I'll turn you into something I want you to be. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be qualified for it. All you got to do is be submissive to me, be submit, surrender to me, and be obedient to my word, and I'll, I'll take you every step of the way. He basically wants us to fellowship with him. And would your answer be yes? Will you, like Mary, turn your back on the worldly plans and say yes to the one that died for you? Mary could have said yes because one day, 30 years later, Jesus Christ said yes the wrath of God that's how come we can say yes because Jesus Christ said yes to the father our ability to say yes is possible because Jesus said yes to the father God would sustain Mary he took care of Mary from her childhood her through the mother being the mother of the Messiah to one day she would be the pillar of the church Mary didn't know everything and it was obvious that she didn't understand everything and that's the same thing with us and we don't know everything, and sometimes we don't understand where God places us. We don't understand what he wants us to do. And sometimes we, we're in situations when we don't really understand, but we've we got to be submissive to it. We've got to say yes. Mary, like every other sinner, had human emotions. She was prone to doubt, worry, and fear, but Mary did cling to what Jesus said. The child in her womb was no ordinary child. That's one thing about this. This was not an ordinary pregnancy. He was not an ordinary child. The child would save his people, including Mary, from their sins. He would reverse the curse of sin, and he would someday rule the nations. And that's what we're going to sing about that, ain't we, Miss Ann? Amen. I'm looking forward to that. The life Mary reveals to us is a rags of riches story, but it's not rags of riches because... Jesus made Mary famous. That's not what it is. It's the same thing that each one of us do. The life was, it's the same thing because the life that she lived is the same thing that Jesus Christ offers each of us. 
When we take him in as personal Lord and Savior, he takes us from death to life. And he did the same thing for Mary. He took her from death to life because of her submission to him. Church, there's only one answer to the question that God places before us. And that answer is yes. Join him with me. The God who loves us and God loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ. He orchestrated some kind of a, an ordeal to get, to get the son into this world through the birth of a baby so that he could one day save all of his people. He loves us so much. He never wants to leave us without him, and he wants us to be with him. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man is a sinner and cannot save himself. We need a savior. God made it so simple for us. He offered salvation for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 3.23 says this, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a barrier. It creates a barrier between us and God. We can't get to God and he can't get to us. But God solved that problem. He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to walk 30 plus years to go to a cross to take my sins and your sins on his shoulder so that we could have fellowship with him, so that we could have a right relationship with him, and so that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. Friends, let me tell you something. When our life is over, we're going to, have two, one of, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places, and the, the decisions we make on this earth determine where we spend eternity. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever doesn't leave anybody out. It accounts for anybody. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've thought about doing. The Bible says if you call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Romans 10, 9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God made it so simple. Basically, he said, if you invite me into your heart and you turn your life over to me, you make me the Lord of your life, you follow me, you walk after me, then I'll come in and save you. It's just that simple. We invite him in. We turn our life over to him. There's a repentance process. It means I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm turning away from myself. I'm turning away from worldly things, and I'm going to follow Jesus. It's just that simple. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal sword and Savior, I urge you to, to come to know him. I'll be down front in a moment. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you don't know this, this Jesus that I'm talking about, I'd love to share more with you about him. Maybe there's others in here. Maybe there's just a time that you need to come to the altar to pray. Lay it on the, at the foot of the cross. The altar is open for you. Our deacons will love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. This church family would love to support you and pray with you. Whatever the issue is, this is a time that's set aside for you. Maybe there's others looking for a church home. Man, this is a great place to call home. We'd love to have you join in the fellowship of Pine Hill. Whatever the decision is, this is the time that you make it. Father God, I come before you with a humble heart. God, I thank you for the promises that are in your word. God, I thank you for who you are. And God, I thank you for orchestrating the Christmas story. I thank you for Mary's submission to you, God, and the fact that she said yes. And Father, I pray if there's one person in the sound of my voice that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this day would be the day that they would come to know you. Father, for others in our congregation, God, move. I ask the Holy Spirit just overpower this room. And God, just move how the Holy Spirit would have us to move. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.